those moments of goosebumps and appreciation of yourself as a learner, your progress, and also for the teacher, those moments of appreciation of, wow, like that student is able to do this. Welcome to The Fluent Show, a podcast all about loving, living, and learning languages. No matter if it's your first language or your third or your eighth, no matter if you're learning Chinese or French or you're learning German or a sign language, doesn't matter. Everybody's welcome. Hello and welcome to The Fluent Show. And my name is Kirsten Cable from fluentlanguage.co.uk. I'm here to tell you about anything and everything interesting from the world of learning another language. Hey, Fluent fam, how you been? <laughs> I hope you've been well. Today's episode is gonna make you feel great. I am so convinced about that. Wow, there is such a wonderful conversation coming up. So let's get some housekeeping announcementos, anuncios. <laughs> out of the way. I also want to give a shout out, as I always do, to our wonderful show sponsor, the one and only italki. Italki is an online platform where you can find one-to-one -one teachers in, I don't know, literally any language that you can possibly think of. It's just incredible and you can find the one-to-one -one environment that you would be often struggling to find wherever it is that you're studying. Online teachers don't have to get in the car and drive two hours to get to you so they don't charge you for that, which usually makes online lessons very affordable. Plus, you can work with teachers on a personal in on a personal interaction and learn from them and learn about their country exactly where they are. Now, I've been telling you about how great italki is for a few months now. And I thought it's a little bit, you know, we want to liven it up a little bit. So I reached out to the community and I asked my listeners, what stories do you have? What are you learning on italki? Are you using it? And one person I got in touch is my wonderful language learning, just such an inspiration. Uh, one of my coaching clients, Marissa, and Marissa had a wonderful story to share. So I'm going to read you Marissa's story so you can get a sense of what italki is doing for her and her project to learn five languages all at once. Yep, that's happening. Okay, so Marisa says, school and college language classes left me convinced that I couldn't learn a language. And as an adult, I decided to give everybody's favorite advice a try. Go abroad and study with an immersion school. I had some amazing experiences and some frustrating ones, but when a polyglot friend finally convinced me to try italki, I felt like I found my magic ingredient. I started with a few French tutors to help me subsidize what I was learning in the classrooms in the immersion schools. And it clicked so I clicked so much with one tutor that not only did my French improve faster than in an immersion school, but she's been able to help me with Spanish and Catalan too, sometimes at the same time and for the same price for personal lessons than in group classes at school. Huge shout out to Christina. That's Marissa's tutor. So shout out to Christina. Bonjour. Hola, Christina. Marisa says, I wouldn't be in the same place I am now without her classes through italki. That is 
so cool. That is so, so awesome. And it tells you about one of the special aspects of italki. It's often the case that when you start finding a teacher that you click with and that teacher is as language crazy as you are, they might know more than one language and they might be able to help you with more than one language. It is definitely worth a look. It is very cost effective. Oh, and I've got a voucher for you. Woohoo! You can go <laughs> you can go and get a $10 credit if you've never tried italki before. All you need to do is go to fluentlanguage.co.uk/italki and that credit's going to be sitting there waiting for you with a lovely little welcome page saying, "Hey, fluent show listener, we know you're in the fluent fam." Except they don't know that I made up the word fluent fam. <laughs> So that is a shout out to my sponsor Italki. Now, on to what I know you've all been waiting for. This wonderful interview I've been mentioning. My guest for this week's episode is Maria Ortega Garcia, who you will get to know during the course of the interview. I was so excited to speak to Maria after her incredibly inspiring presentations at the Women in Language conference, which absolutely just stirred something inside of me. I find the way that Maria speaks about language incredibly inspiring and I'm so proud to be sharing it with you today. Here are a few questions to give you a sense of the theme that we're going to be covering. So are you ready? Ask yourselves. How do you play with a language you love? Who owns the rules of language? Can your conversation in a foreign language be with yourself the same way it is in a native language? Maria is a rebel. She encourages you not to break the rules, but to look beyond the rules. And that was just the fascinating part of this conversation. We talked about permission, we talked about ownership, we talked about what we think we're all allowed to do in another language. And for me as a language coach, language teacher, and of course also a language learner and someone who's actively engaging with several languages and I'm wanting to get better at them, this made me look at language in a whole new way. I cannot wait for you to hear this interview. Now, if the interview inspires you, Last thing I'm going to tell you is that if the interview inspires you, please check out a joint workshop that Maria and I are organizing together. It's an absolute honor to be working with her. The workshop is called Creative Writing, Performance and Public Speaking. You can catch us at Langfest and we are also planning a bunch of ticketed workshops where you can come along and really take action in your language. You... We haven't got dates for those quite yet, but you will probably be able to catch us in London. We are thinking about Dublin and we are thinking about US cities. So the easiest way, if you can't make it to Langfest, the easiest way to catch those workshops is to hop on the newsletter, which you will find at fluentlanguage.co.uk and I'll pop a link in the show notes as well. And then as soon as I know more, I will email you out. That is all really I want to tell you about now. I'm going to be popping in and saying hi after the interview. But for now, let's go to how to play with a language you love. So joining me on the Fluent Show right now is Maria Ortega Garcia. Maria, global traveler, self-employed businesswoman, 
wonderful friend of mine also. She is a trained, certified and experienced teacher and a DELE examiner. So that's Spanish. And a certified CLE exam trainer with a degree in arts and a master's in scenery arts. Maria is a Spanish grammar expert who loves exploring creativity, culture, art and self-expression in your target language, in the target language, as a way to connect the brain knowledge with the heart knowledge. Welcome to the show, Maria. Hello. Hello. Hello, everybody. <laughs> How are you doing today? I am doing fine. I'm having a pretty day, so it's good. Mm -hmm. And Maria, okay, so I think I need to unpack a little bit of your bio because there's so much in there. So your background is you, now you're a language teacher, but you've got an arts background too. Tell me more about that. Well, I started um, with a degree in humanities, uh, arts and history and literature and all that. Um, my main goal has always been being a teacher. Originally, I wanted to be a professor, literature in university. But then I just got sidetracked and started to enjoy a lot of theater and um, the creative, yeah, um, performing arts. Uh, so I, I did a a master's and started a PhD on that. Mm -hmm. Do you remember the first book you ever fell in love with? Yeah, <laughs> it was a theater play. It was a yeah, a play from a Spanish author from the golden age in Spain, like the 16th, 17th century. And it was a play, a very famous play called um, El Perro del Hortelano, which I don't know how to translate. Um, it's just one of these phrases. Um, yeah. Uh, and I just loved that play. I loved the pace, the humor, the depth, the characters. So that was the beginning of that chapter of my life. <laughs> <laughs> how old were you then? Um, well, I was in university, so I was around 20. Mm -hmm. And then um, when I finished college, well, my degree, in, when I, I was 24, and I started my master's and PhD, and that was for about four or five years. So, yeah, I... Almost in my 30s, that's when I changed my, my path. But until then, I was all uh, researching, reading plays, just being um, always at home or in the library, full of, um, surrounded by books and typing away. It was quite a lonely. Kind of <laughs> <laughs> when I look back, yeah, it, it, well, it, I was a researcher and I don't think that that kind of um, job or career is a very social one yeah. in general. Um, with the exception of the conferences that you obviously go and have fun with the colleague researchers, but researchers, but other than that, it was just working alone with my books and papers. Mm. And was looking for a bit more company, was that something that attracted you to teaching Spanish? Not really. Um, what I realized was that at the same time as I was doing my my PhD, I started to travel. 
and I started teaching because I had to have a salary. Like <laughs> I, I, I never had a grant or anything, so I was mm-hmm. doing the research by my my own means. Um, so I was teaching, traveling, and doing my PhD, and I just felt. And I know this is going to sound maybe horrible, but I felt that um, what I was doing in my research was pointless. That in a way I was not improving anybody anybody's lives. That I was not inspiring anybody to do something different. I was just studying about different plays and studying what might the author, um, what the author might wanted to say, and it was, yeah, I felt that there, there was no point that 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 had no real impact in society. That it was just something that was going to collect dust in someone else's bookshelf, or yeah, I felt, yeah. Mm-hmm. Bit of a personal crisis there, huh? Yeah, it was. Wow. Yeah, no, well, <laughs> no, it was a realization. I really value those years because in a way, those years and that deep um, knowledge is something that I realize I am using now in a more practical way. But what, what, what I realized then when I quit my PhD was that it felt quite empty. I was doing a research and it felt very much in a, to be in a closed circle. So I was doing something, I had pleasure from it, which is fine, but it was just going to have an impact to a very close circle of people with um, in, the, in the same kind of, I don't know how to say, with the same kind of education in terms of mm. qualifications than me. Yeah, that a, a person, a, a fifteen-year-old, won't have, wouldn't have access to that, and people who with uh, with no um, university or uh, with no degrees or a deep love with literature wouldn't be interested in reading that. You know, I I feel I I strongly relate to what you're saying. It's I think for me. Part of the reason I do this podcast, part of the reason I do fluent language, everything I write, everything I'm interested in, the part of the reason why I talk about language learning methods is is for a similar reason. Like I read the research, but I often feel like I just want, you, you know, when you you find something and you think it maybe it works or you think it's a good idea or you feel you have a a message and something that you really feel passionate about. You just want to get it into people's hands. Yeah. You just want people to, you know, not necessarily agree with you, but just you want people to think around the same lines as where you are thinking. I think that's how passion spreads. Yes. And that is precisely why, why I stopped doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Because I felt it was not going to be accessible to the majority of the people. My goal is that everybody trusts that they can create, (laughs) that they can use the language, that they can create art, they can write 
poems and books and they can do everything that they don't need a particular skill they just need practice and a will to to do it and creation at the heart of it this is this is so fascinating i'm thinking because i'm thinking from the point of view of the language learner and what most language learners you know the way we think about language learning usually in this sort of uh, you, you, what's the utility of it and how do I get myself to this level of functioning type of way. So when I think of the word creation, what comes to mind as the formal language teacher side of me is, is production, right? Reading yeah. and writing, beep boop, reading and writing correctly, getting your grammar correct, all of that. Uh, but when you say creation, this there's something else in there and you talk about poetry and you talk about literature. And so my, my let's, I guess, start from the start. Yeah. Do you think, do you then work with people who are C1 extremely advanced in Spanish and then you teach them how to write poetry? Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that that can be done with any level. Mm -hmm. And it is just different in the same way that um, you speak in a certain way um, when you are in a conversation or when you are in a formal context. I think there is a space in the language learning, learning process to have fun and create whatever comes from you. Um, it doesn't need to have any goal, any specific purpose. It's just pleasure and self-expression. And that can be done at any level. Mm -hmm. You are a very beginner. Um, you can use the words you have. You don't need to produce. You won't be able to produce a whole complex sentences. And that's fine because what you need to express in that moment, maybe it's just a playful string of words or <laughs> some sounds. And, and that's it. Mm -hmm. So um, what... What does this, let's talk about, say, a beginner, perhaps an intermediate learner as well. So if you're a beginner, mm -hmm. let's say, okay, so I'm a beginner in Chinese. I can pretty much say six things or something like that. You know, I'm, I'm fairly early on. I, the other day I said to a Chinese person, excuse me, where is the house? And they understood what I was saying. That's, I'm at that stage where that's a triumph. <laughs> yes. So what could I do with the language that would that would make me connect with it? And why would I at, the, at, a, at an early stage? Well, um, why wouldn't you, first of all, <laughs> want to play with a language you love? Mm -hmm. To explore different ways of producing it. Maybe you want to sing a couple of words. Ooh. And see how you sound, see how you feel while you're singing. And then you are playing with your voice and you, yeah, it's, it's fun. Or you, maybe you want to use those six words you may have at the moment or uh, six things you can say and combine with other languages that you know and create a bilingual dialogue, a theater piece. Well, theater scene where a Chinese person is talking to a, an English person and they are not communicating. You can just do that. Mm -hmm. 
don't need to stick to one language. You don't need, there are no rules. With art, I believe that the, the fun part is that there are no, no rules. You can just explore with one word and see where it takes you. You can look for synonyms or for the, uh, words that sound similar and see what you discover. Mm -hmm. For me, it's play. That's fascinating. And that, that actually sounds really fun. And I'm thinking, oh, yes, or I could recite them over some kind yeah. of hip hop beat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Well, that's super fun. And that's something that for me, it makes it creates goosebumps when I when I do that, when I write something and then I produce it. And I hear that it has a nice beat to it. I feel very excited. It's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I could go to, to a competition with this. Mm hmm. <laughs> okay so this sounds really cool so we've got a few ideas for the beginner we've got maybe recite even if you know very little like recite it make it sound cool try different ways of saying it and then there is and also I'm thinking Chinese that I'm looking at at the moment it's tonal so then we get into rhythm and I would automatically have to engage with more rules of that language and more ways of engaging with that language and getting my pronunciation right if I was to recite in a certain way. So I can see how something is opening up that is actually leading me to more learning. Exactly. And I think that the interesting part of, and, and the part that we shouldn't forget is that this is not for an exam. This is not for a real life conversation. You're just playing with the language it doesn't need to be correct mm -hmm. it's, just, it's just a way for for you to connect with the language and connect with yourself and see just to connect <laughs> probably the, the 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 main idea here is be connected to yourself through the language and display to see where it takes you and how it sounds how you feel what you learn. Mm. And what does connecting with yourself mean to you? What, what benefit can you get as a person? Why would you bother to do that? Well, because I believe that if we are not connected with ourselves, we are not doing um, much good <laughs> and I explain um, when when we act from our minds from what we know there is no hard connection we are just reproducing what we have learned we are reproducing what other people have told us what is correct we are playing by the rules established someone else whereas when we connect with ourselves and we take a minute to to see how we feel maybe in the context of languages we read a text or we listen to a song or we watch um, a movie or something in that language I think it's important to see how we are feeling about it what living in this language is making me feel. I am feeling a connection. I am feeling 
relaxed, I am feeling excited, is I'm feeling tense. So just for me, being connected is as simple as just checking in with oneself. Mm. How am I feeling with this? There is something really interesting that you said about we, you know, you say when we act from what we know, when mm. as a language learner, it's like when you go with the exact rules that you know but basically when you go with grammar rules when you go with you know you you grab your book and you just read okay these are the rules and you do your drills you are playing by somebody else's rules now a lot of people would say well I'm learning a foreign language of course I'm playing by somebody else's rules I've got to right but you know, you put against that this idea of, of self-expression and putting expression first, which makes me think it's kind of, it's, it's a, it's almost like, okay, it's almost like an introspective, maybe introvert's way of, <laughs> of coming at the communication-based approach. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah. Well, I am an introvert, so obviously... <laughs> <laughs> everything for me and I and I am a very introvert introverted person so for me that's the way I can I, I do everything basically um but I think I think it is important to 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 keep a balance between the extrovert and the introvert way because obviously and, and you said uh, and you said that, and it was a, obviously a very interesting point. You are learning someone else's, a, a foreign language is someone else's language. Mm -hmm. So you are playing by their rules, which is fine. And I think it is great to know and understand and internalize the other group uh, rules. But you still want to use the language yourself to express yourself, to, ex to express you in a way. So I think it is important just to, to uh, how to say this, to, to merge <laughs> someone else's rules, so the grammar rules and all these external um, things that come with the language with what comes from you. That's, that's the way how languages have been evolved. We have Latin on top of native languages. Those native languages disappeared, but in a way they are embedded. They are present. They, there are traces of those languages there. So if I am going to put English on top of my Spanish background and my, <laughs> I don't know if, this is going to sound weird, but anyway, my inner background, like me, my, my, my person, my individual person, it has to come, English has to come with my own personality and my own background. And that is how I am pro producing something that is unique. And obviously I have to strive for something that is correct <laughs> with, with the rules. But for me, what it is interesting is that I can express myself through this language, but without imitating and becoming someone different because I am just using someone else's rules. Mm. I don't know mm. if it makes sense. <laughs> yeah, a question kind of popped up in my head that was, 
it's every time I listen to you, every time I listen to you, there's this kind of, I don't know, I call it, let's call it my inner German, <laughs> which is not fair to, 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 to Germans, but hey, oh. okay. but you know, like my inner rule follower, my inner kind of uh, bureaucrat says, well, but, but, but I'm not, I, I'm, I'm not allowed to do that. I'm not good enough to, to do that. Right. I'm not good enough to play with the language. And this made me, you know, with the way you speak about um, Spanish and about, just generally like whose rules whose rules are we following here that made me think who owns a language and that is a really really interesting conversation and a really interesting debate like as a learner do you ever and at what point is it from day one is it from day six six hundred is it from i don't know you've passed the b1 exam like at what point do you start actually owning a piece of the language and what I'm hearing is that you argue it's it's instantly yeah and, and that obviously has been a process so English for instance we, which was the first foreign language that I learned I was learning I didn't own it for many 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 years mm -hmm. because I didn't believe I had the right it was someone else's language I would, how would I even try or attempt to write something to publish like that? That was just wrong. <laughs> you cannot do that unless you have um, a C1 level, at least. But yeah. what happened over the years was, well, hang on. <laughs> Who has told me? that I do not own the language. Who owns the language? The language is owned, in my belief anyway, by the users. Am I using the English language? Of course. Mm -hmm. Why can't I play with it and express myself in any way I want? Sometimes, even if you know that is wrong, that it, that it doesn't really matter as long as once you have produced something, you know what to do with it. Mm -hmm. Let's say I write a poem and it is uh, absolutely the crappy, horrible thing because it doesn't follow <laughs> any rule. I have words that are misspelled. I don't know. any. Imagine a really bad thing in English, for example. Am I going to go to a publisher and say, hey, look, my poem? Well, probably not. And if I, I, if I do, they're going to say, well, that's crap. I'm going to put it in the bin. Thank you. Goodbye. And that's fine. But if I go with that poem and I say, look, I go on Facebook, for example, or Instagram, I don't know, and I just share that poem saying, well, look, I was just playing with the language yesterday and I was just, yeah, playing with words and trying to to create something. Um, I know it's it's really badly written, but I am just sharing. Am I allowed? Mm -hmm. I think so, because I am not really harming anybody. I am not forcing anybody. I am not saying that that poem is... Um, any specific quality that is going to compete in, in um, I don't know, with, with um, some master poets. No, I'm just expressing myself. 
in that language. And I am being honest about it. I am being humble. This is really fascinating. And, you know, it's, it's sort of, it's so wonderful to think if you're a listener of the Fluent Show, lucky you, (laughs) but, you know, if you're a listener of the Fluent Show right now and you're thinking about your target language, ask yourself, am I allowed to do that? And think about your target language and ask and, and consider that you already own a piece of that language. You already own a bit of that language. And I can tell you that, that this makes me feel so different about all of my language, like even French, you know, which I, which I speak and I've been studying forever. And it's just, I still don't feel like I, me and French, we're just never going to be like lovers or something. But I still... Like, why would I continuously wait for permission? When is that permission going to come? I've been learning French since I was 13. That's 22 years. It's really enough time. And I, you know, like there is a lot of, there's a lot of me that feels like more playful in Russian, which I taught myself the bits that I know, mm-hmm. than, than in French. So, and which I did in school and I got exams on. So this is making me think that... There is there is a freedom here. Totally. And when you mentioned that you learned French um, in school, I think that that is connected <laughs> with yeah. how we feel with, uh, about languages. Because unfortunately, and at least in my experience, uh, and probably the things are changing, but the traditional educational system is not very playful. It is is a bit stifled by you have to follow these rules because you want to pass an exam and then have a wonderful career. So it is a big deal. Maybe you you don't feel that you can have fun with the language, and you believe that you don't have the that you don't own the language. It's something that is over there. (laughs) <laughs> it's a shiny thing that you can just you either you are either able to produce it as it is over there far away or not at all i'm really i really feel i i really feel that that relates and that connects and this feeling of i don't i mean i don't know if the traditional education system can ever escape from that I don't know because you were educated in Spain. I was educated in Germany. Uh, you know, Brits are educated in Britain and so on. And and I never felt in English or in fr- French, I never felt that I own them at all. So I have a question for you on this. Tell me. Which is, the, you know, I was mentioning that listeners might want to own a piece of their target language and I do definitely and all of us do and for you as a as a teacher of Spanish I would like to hear a little bit about what you do with your learners and how you give them that feeling if that's what you do uh, I, I do <laughs> I do um I, I think that the main thing and the, the thing I try to do from the very beginning 
is to give them permission to make mistakes. And I know that, that that's, that's something that the majority of us teachers do. Mistakes are great. Um, I give them permission to write since very early in the learning process, um, combine English when they cannot say something in Spanish yet. And I try to, to convince them that they can do whatever they want, that it is going to be fine, that it all depends on the goal. So if they are alone with their notebook and that is something that they are trying to do in Spanish with their, for their own pleasure, whatever they write, it is perfect. Now, if they want to write an email to someone and it needs to be in Spanish, obviously they, try, they need to follow the rules and they need to use appropriate words. So it is just, I tell them from the very beginning that they need to have their goals clear and what they, the intention is for them if they want to learn for a, uh, because they want to communicate only to have conversations in Spanish or because they want to pass an exam and that's the only thing they want to do then we are going to learn in a different way. But if what they want is really understand the language, express themselves um, through the language, in a way embody the language. And I know that that is something that for some people it is really, really important, and it is indeed for, uh, as well for me. Um, the... the the majority of my students, they, they learn the language because they really want to understand the language. Sometimes it's not really because they want to travel to a speaking, um, Spanish-speaking country and communicate with people. Sometimes it's just curiosity and trying to understand the language mm -hmm. and the behind it. Then they can be as playful as they want. Mm -hmm. Because really need to to follow the rules for everything they produce. They can follow the rules sometimes. They can learn the rules and understand the rules. But they can also, and they should as well, play with the language without following the rules. Mm. Play with the rules, and they can play outside of the rules. It is just. Do whatever, because the goal is feeling the language, making it yours. So this is, for me as a teacher, I, I know, I don't think there is, a, there is a language teacher who doesn't do this. I don't think there is a native speaker who doesn't do this. I think this is built in. That yeah. we, when somebody speaks to us and when somebody is, comes to me and they're a learner, though, this is, this is so amplified my desire to correct them to give them the correct tools to 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 help them express themselves 
in you know like without whatever distracted me so they say somebody tries to speak they make a grammatical error if it is a grave enough error like i think i have some level of tolerance everybody does because otherwise we'd go crazy especially yeah. in languages like german that have you know very detailed bits so yeah. that, that they don't matter but at some point you know if somebody really is just word ordering all over the place there is there is a part of me that wants to go all right like hang on let me just explain to you this little bit and then we'll practice that bit and there is like you say there is a place for that but for me as a teacher something i've actually noticed that i really love about what you're saying is so i have the inbuilt correction person everybody does mm -hmm. and we've previously spoken about on the podcast about overcorrection how dangerous that can be how it can just make a learner want to give up so when i have played around and um, experimented with students on the retreats for example that i host there's something in a retreat where it's a, it's a fairly safe space and everybody's already in the right mindset so you've got you know a small group and i've played around with poetry we've read haikus we've just explained you know roughly what haikus are and then i said okay and now i would like you to write one and i'll write one too you know we're all in this space together we're all gonna produce amazing poetry or complete nonsense it doesn't matter yeah. so the fact that i then set those parameters more liberally then resulted in when they produced German writing I as a teacher was liberated because I didn't feel the need to correct and I didn't feel so much like there is just one way of doing this um, and actually the results were that you know their, their German was perfectly was perfectly correct was perfectly serviceable but there is this there is this extra thing that I felt as a teacher where I was also more free. It wasn't just the learners. It was, it was both sides. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Totally. And it is so, I don't know. It is, it is exciting because, um, that creates, uh, and, um, how to say, I believe that when we allow our students to play, and we set very clearly those parameters, as you said. I think we as teachers, we realize um, maybe where our work, previous teaching work with them has gone, how far it has gone. And also we are, um, we are going to experience some moments of awe <laughs> because um well in my case um i have run this spanish through poetry course and every single time in every single call i had with with the students there was some poem or um a verse or um, and stanza that was truly amazing that leave, left me and the student surprised by <laughs> their own ability 
to express in that way in the language. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Of course, there might be some strange order in the sentence <laughs> that maybe sometimes it, it is acceptable, some other times it's not. But that's something that you can work on afterwards, and it is very useful. Mm-hmm. So you have an excuse to, to talk to touch some grammar stuff. But those moments of goosebumps and appreciation of yourself as a learner, your progress, and also for the teacher, those moments of appreciation of, wow, like that student is able to do this. And I know I, I had a part of these. <laughs> so this student can feel this way. Mm-hmm. And I think that enabling the students to, to feel that way, to feel that they really own, again, the language in that way, that they are creative, that they, in a way, master the language enough to generate an emotion and create something that has a value. It is such a sweet experience. <laughs> You know, this is amazing because this makes me realize as a teacher of my language, as a teacher of of any language, I am also just as much as the student afraid of judgment and afraid of getting it wrong. So when as a teacher you do correct students very actively too actively perhaps it's also related to the teacher feeling like well I've got to get this right because you know what what's it going to look like if I produce a student who makes errors that's going to reflect badly on me so there's both sides involved and for one side to just say you know what the rules this is you know I'm creating a space where the rules are different where the rules are about where our goal is no longer for you to learn the language so that you can you know pass exams but instead you can learn the language to express you know what it is that you're feeling and to uh, also to generate emotion in others that's like a whole new definition of fluency if you know what I mean exactly yeah totally and um, I think it is Something that, in a way, we we miss, and I and I have been there as well. Mm-hmm. We believe that as long as we are able to produce proficient, correct things, we're fine, regardless of how we feel about them, regardless uh, if we are feeling anything about them or not. Um, I think it is really important to keep a balance between the things we learn and what we express. And I think it is important also to separate that sometimes we need to express in a way that might be perceived as wrong. And that could apply in a big range of scenarios, (laughs) not only language learning, learning, but also in language learning, learning, sorry. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It has to be a space for us to just have fun and express whatever wants to be expressed yeah. without, um, without this 
very serious uh, rules and lines that we have to write our text within the lines. We cannot go outside. This reminds me of a conversation that I had with, with Ollie last year, Ollie Richards, and he was, he was on this podcast and we had this whole conversation about having fun. Art, when art evolves, is, is because someone decided to break the rules and then we go into another level. When we feel that we can break the rules, we are reaching a whole new level that connects with us, that is us. We are expressing really, truly ourselves. So when we can do that, it is not a matter just of skill. It's a matter of practice and just being willing to to break the rules. Mm -hmm. What you are offering with this point of view to a learner is to achieve, this is so weird, to achieve mastery of a language at any level yeah that's bizarre that's so interesting and it to a certain extent it it works as long as you are your definition right it works as long as you are your your internal guide and your internal compass and I think this is very interesting especially for the independent for the solo learners because they are the ones that have this space if you're learning you know if if you're learning German because you've got to pass the German citizenship exam and you know that the exam's going to have this and this and this questioning okay you know you are you know you're you're working to conform at that point and that's something that we all have to do in society but if you are learning german and you allow yourself to to engage with it in in this way and to ask you know like to start questioning internally what are your goals and where do you want to go with it then you then you how do i how do i say this then you kind of you exist in your own you 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 get you get to be the boss you know you exist in your own level in your own frame of reference there that's extremely interesting and i wonder yeah i wonder i wonder what what the advantages and disadvantages there are or why why somebody would you know Yes, and um, well, I think um, that the way we are going as like in a, as a group, humans evolving, <laughs> we are getting deeper in knowing ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. We we are exploring ourselves more. We are more proficient in psychology, how the brain works, how we work. And I think it is related with that. Some people have always been very connected with themselves. And I'm talking about artists. And that's why I, I think that it is connected with this art and self-expression part. Uh, and those people, they have the artists that have been expressing themselves. They have been, in a way, breaking the rules, and they have all also have been 
driving change. Now, now seeing how we are evolving and the things that we are interested in, we are interested in self-development, we are um, doing more and more meditation, we are going in with the, with the goal of understanding ourselves better. And we are also going into this um, understanding that we have to express what it is coming from within. We are getting to know ourselves. We are understanding what's, what's going on with us, with our thoughts and with our behaviors. And then we want to express that. Mm. And that is what I am talking about in a way is using the language to get to know yourself and to express what you're discovering. It's like using language as therapy. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know. When I normally do journaling, and I think that that is, for me, is, is one of the most powerful things I, I've done and I do. It helps me to understand myself. It, it helps me to solve my problems. Mm-hmm. And to feel better, so I, I just do it. And I could do it in Spanish, and sometimes I do, or I could do it in any other languages. And I know that there are a lot of um, uh, language learners that are using journaling because that is exactly what I <laughs> what I am talking about. There is no rules in journaling. You don't really need to write a correct sentence. You just need to write whatever comes from you and then obviously if you want you go back to it and you read and you correct in the same way as with a poem and I have done I, I do that with my students when we write the poem we, we are mesmerized and, and moved by it and then we have a look at what it is acceptable and I am using my my inverted commas here <laughs> what it is acceptable or not according to the rules of the language. And then we try to modify that and still create something that is powerful. Mm-hmm. I think the one cannot go without the other. If we, if, if we really want to express the language, to learn and internalize the language, if you want to internalize the language, it has to come inside of you and then go out. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense. It sounds weird, but <laughs> no, I think I think I, I I I well, I'm absolutely. Do you know? And when I say language as therapy, I also want to like journaling is such a good example of that, and and everything that you described, understanding yourself, and I've found through my own journey and my own journey you know big word but you know like my own life experience and lived experience is that therapy is really really good and it makes you much much more functional as a person and it makes you like if you are aiming for a certain success and you're continuously standing in your own way because you don't understand yourself that doesn't work anyway so it's actually a very very good thing to be doing and honestly I wish everybody could just you know, I wish everybody did it all the time. <laughs> I've been so many friends I've had a conversation with after doing a bit of counseling in the past and just said like, oh my God, the world needs counseling. It's amazing. So, you know, that's that's just to say language as therapy to me is is about the, the magic that we can uncover when we think of it that way. So let me get more practical yeah. and ask you, um, 
because we, you know, we've, I think we've, we've sort of dug into this and we've sort of talked a little bit about some of the things that we can do. But especially because I am a teacher who has played with this a little bit, but not massively, I would love to hear more about the many different ways in which you work with your students and how somebody can, like, how do you help people with this as a Spanish teacher? For me, it's all around creative writing and performing. So it's the two com combined. So there are many different activities that encourage creative writing. Could be poetry and could be um, writing scripts uh, for theater. All depends. Or I all is adaptable to the level. If you are working with an A1 or an A2, you are going to um, inspire your students to write some haikus as you do or to write very short dialogues or try to write some songs if they have uh, some musical knowledge or if they are very bold and <laughs> they want to attempt doing that. Mm -hmm. And do you do this one-to-one? -one? I do this one-to-one -one and also in group. Mm -hmm. What does uh, the group look like? Well, that is where the magic tends to happen because there are more people, more energy, that we feel more vulnerable. So all these elements add to the magic. So if we are doing creative writing um, and we are doing poetry, you obviously give them some guidelines and, and then you decide if there is going to be a particular prompt or image. You give them maybe some tools. Well, you will give them some tools to be able to create, to find um, words and how to create rhythm. What I have done previously is to give them some structure. Sometimes helps when um, when they are not used to create poetry, which the majority of us aren't. <laughs> well, you give them some guidelines and then you say, well, you can create a poem with these characteristics and I'm going to explain you how to do that. But if you don't want to feel, uh, sorry, if you don't want to follow these guidelines, feel free to do whatever you want. But for, for those who, who panicked a little bit with the idea of write a poem, okay, how? <laughs> then for those that are some, some rules, kind of, so that they can feel a, li a little bit more safe, then they write the poem, you give them time, there is time always, there is a space, it is a safer space. And when they are done, it is the performing part. And for that, there is also techniques that I, I like to share about enunciation and how to use your whole body because a, a poem is never just the voice. It is the entirety of your body and how you move and the gestures and the intonation and the, the, the passion. So there is a part where, where you help, help them to do that how to use their, their bodies, and how to breathe, or when to breathe. And then they perform. Um, in some cases, you give them time to memorize. And that is also really interesting. If there is no time to memorize in, which tends to be the case, <laughs> you 
then you just um, they they will go with their papers and just um, read um, out loud and try to perform. And the performing part is is I find a magical one because all of us are feeling the nerves and are, uh, we are all feeling the emotion of the other person. Mm-hmm. We understand completely that this person is super nervous, is feeling super vulnerable and we are good people. So we just share that with <laughs> with that person. And um, there is something very powerful I find when you are the person performing and there are people looking at you. There is the power of being the center of attention. Mm-hmm. That, and, and then being the center of attention while you are sharing something that comes from a um, private, intimate part of you. It is, it is a vulnerability, but there is also power. And I, I feel that sometimes the students... Sometimes, and not always, because it depends on on many factors. But if there is a safe space, sometimes the students, when they perform, or or anybody when when we perform, we feel this um, moment of letting go. You are not in your mind. You're just performing and sharing. Mm. When you're sharing in another language, for me, that's when you are embodying the language. You are making it yours, and you feel really... Like you feel really good. <laughs> and this is the importance of the the safe space. And I've had this, I, I say this so, so often, this this concept. It's, it's like, it's so weird because I've never connected it in that way. But you're right. There's something, you know, when you talk about sharing something, performing something that comes from your heart, what I'm thinking in my head is terrifying, right? And And I have a quite... I I feel like normally I've got quite a high threshold for the terror of doing things in front of other people. So for somebody else who is shyer than me, it must just be an absolutely mortifying. But then I also remember the the sense of strength, the sense of achievement and accomplishment that comes from get, getting through that anyway. And that, I mean, if you can do that, just think how functional you're going to be in a conversation because it's like it's like going to acting school where just your your embarrassment threshold gets worked on and you just become a little bit more comfortable with being uncomfortable which is so important and it's exactly what you're saying about making mistakes and for for us as the teacher the 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 job becomes no longer I must produce a perfectly correct piece of work that is my student who makes no grammar mistake. But the piece of work that we have to do is I must create a space where my student becomes a person who who just uses this language more powerfully than before. I think that is such a cool approach to teaching, such a cool approach to learning and in fact the results that you get from it are that you create people who are fluent you create people but you know what i mean you you create yeah you create fluency and confidence and 
and ownership with your learners. And that's so much cooler. I, I imagine your, your dropout rates must be very low for people who, who get it. <laughs> Yes, no, it, it normally works. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I can, I, I can see how that works. And you are, this is really good because this is the kind of conversation, you know, the podcast is just my excuse to grow myself sometimes. But it really is like I have this conversation, and I find it so encouraging and so open and permissive. And I do want to practice this and try it out. So, in conclusion, if you could say something to the listeners of The Fluent Show, what what would you say to them today? Where could they try something out? And, you know, can, can, you, give, can you give them a few little tips on how to get started thinking completely differently? Because this is not like a, oh, yeah, tomorrow I'll do a differently approach. Where do you even start? Well, I'd say that they have permission mm -hmm. to... Use the language not in a right, correct way. That they have permission to play with the language and to create anything they want with the language in any way they want according to what the vocabulary or the, the abilities they have at the moment. That anything they produce is going to be perfect. And then from that, well... Why don't you pick an image and look at it and then go inwards and think about how you feel about it, what memories it brings or what emotions it brings and try to write something, write a piece. It doesn't need to have any rhyme, any rhythm. It just needs to express from the heart, how you're feeling, what memories. Mm. And that's just a beginning. <laughs> yeah. And do you think, this is my last question, I think this is an interesting one. When I think of learning in this way, and when I think, and I think this is just because stereotypes in society and how we are conditioned, when I think of learning in this way, when I think of expressing in this way, when I think of giving ourselves permission, it feels like stereotypical femininity. Yes. And <laughs> I know that sometimes I talk to people and I feel almost like there is a and this doesn't I'm not referring to men and women in general I'm really thinking there is a it's maybe you could call it life right brain left brain whatever you want to call it but there's this sort of I think when I'm thinking of a masculinity dominated approach of language learning um, I would think of the more about performance achievement what can I you know like how can I where can I go how can I go there how am I going to measure where I go and that is not wrong That is yeah. not wrong. That's a really good way of going about it. But this is a, it's, I don't know. It sounds so cliched, but I'm almost thinking like, you know, like it's a balance. It's, I don't want to say yin and yang, but I will. So, but it is that it's, we as learners and as teachers and as users of the language achieve more if we combine those two those two approaches and we actually balance the masculine and the feminine. This sounds so esoteric, but... But it is true. And yeah. I'm so 
mention that because yes, <laughs> there is a, a it is a feminine way of doing things, and it is not related with genders at all. It's just a feminine way of doing things, which is less goal-oriented, it's less about performance, as you were saying, it is more about um, emotions and connection within oneself and within the world. Mm-hmm. It has a different, it has different traits. And the, the good thing is that, the interesting thing is that we need that balance in within oneself, you you need to to have your masculine that is going to be goal oriented. So you have your goals and you know where you are going. Mm-hmm. You have your direction, but you also need your feminine, which is more fluid and more more flexible and more playful in a way, where you lose sight of the goal for a minute, and you just connect with your emotions and with yourself. Yeah, and the funny thing is, you when you for lack of a better word, wake up or you, you know, like you come back to, you come back to your masculine, I don't want to stop calling it that, but you know what I mean? When you come back to your measuring uh, rational, there you go, state of mind, Mm -hmm. you will really often find that you've reached a goal while you were playing. You still got to that goal. Yeah. And and this is this is the thing. This is why the the combination is so so important because you can actually by accessing this this more emotional, more um, expressive internal part of you, you actually then achieve your goals quicker than you would if you were to just engage your brain. So if you engage your brain and your whole body and like your your brain and your your body or your brain and your gut, or your heart, or whatever you want to call it, I think by bringing those two together, you actually reach the goal faster. And that's why I think it's so interesting what what you are doing, because you're opening up this door for learners, and I find it incredibly inspiring. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I feel feel good now. (laughs) Excellent. And that's it from my interview with Maria Ortega-Garcia. I'm sure you'll agree with me that we are feeling incredibly inspired right now. Don't forget, first of all, that you can join and take this knowledge, take this feeling and take your own creations one step further in this amazing workshop that I'm working on with Maria, where you're going to be producing a piece of that writing that she has been talking about. And if you want performing it either way you will be learning from me about performing public speaking and what you can take from it for speaking a language even when you're not speaking in public because there's a lot of transferable skills there it's a fascinating topic and we are so excited to be working on it together the workshop is going to be premiered at langfest in montreal so if you're coming to langfest Awesome. I'll see you there. If you haven't got your ticket yet, check out the show notes. There's also a 15% voucher. Simply use my name, K-E-R-S-T-I-N, as your promo code. But like I said at the top of the show, we're planning workshops in other cities. We're thinking about a few European cities, but we can come to 
across the pond as well. So do hop on my newsletter and if you've got a very strong desire and the knowledge that there are polyglots in your city and you feel this is the perfect place to hold this type of workshop, just get in touch and we can sort that out together. Thank you so much for listening to The Fluent Show. Don't forget that you can subscribe and then every new episode will just show up in your feed. Next week, we've got a new Q&A episode coming up and there's some really exciting movements for The Fluent Show. You can rate us in Apple iTunes or you can leave us ratings in Spotify or in Stitcher, wherever you subscribe to this show and maybe tell a friend about us. The Fluent Show is supported by your listener goodwill, by our wonderful sponsors and by a Patreon that I still haven't set up. So I'm not going to ask you for money right now, (laughs) but do check out the workshops. And don't forget that you can also learn Spanish and go on amazing Spanish retreats, really cool ones, with Maria. And that is at mariaortegagarcia.com. That is mariaortegagarcia.com. Listeners, it's been an absolute delight. I'll speak to you next week. Bye.